Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Academy, announcing the 24th of our Italian Wine Ambassador courses to be held in London, Austria, and Hong Kong from the 27th to the 29th of July. Are you up for the challenge of this demanding course? Do you want to be the next Italian Wine Ambassador? Learn more and apply now at vinitaliinternational.com. Thanks for tuning in to Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Steve Ray, your host, and this podcast features interviews with the people actually making a difference in the Italian wine market in America, their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. And I'll be adding a practical focus to the conversation based on my 30 years in the business. So if you're interested in not just learning how, but also how else, then this pod is for you. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm your host, Steve Ray, and this week I'm pleased to have as a guest Ricardo Ricci Curbastro. I didn't know him when I was first introduced to him by Stevie Kim, but it turns out he has this stellar career working in about nine or ten different organizations, as well as running a French Quarter winery. So could you give us a little bit of uh, background on who you are, how you got here, and what your role is for some of these uh, advisory or NGO-type organizations? Thank you, Steve, for your introduction. I am an enologist and an an agronomist. Uh, I'm the owner and the run along with my two sons, uh, two estates. So one is in Franciacorta that you already mentioned, so in Lombardy, and the second one is in Emilia-Romagna. The two companies have been in the family, in our family, uh, since 18 generations now. In the last uh, 40 years, have been, uh, among other things, involved in many different let's say, public affairs or public duties. I was the president of the Young Italian Farmers. I was the president of uh, AgriTourist, the association that develops the rural tourism, president of the French Accorda Consortium, and that was in the 90s when the French Accorda achieved the DOCG status, and then of Federdoc and IFO. IFO is the European Federation of Origin Wines, so... Uh, for some time, my office was also in Bruxelles, not only in Rome. Since I was a child, I've been a great lover of all what is concerning environment and ornithology. I'm a, a discreet photographer of nature and animals. And uh, this has been uh, developing in me a great attention to all what is concerning the environment. So as a farmer in my work, I always uh, did it of course, with passion, but at the same time with uh, uh, always uh, uh, an eye on the environmental questions. Uh, by the way, the Silent Spring, the Raquel Carson, was one of my uh, readings when I was 15, so a long time ago. But I remember reading it about that time, too. That was a big... Uh, uh, in, in fact, I met my wife at uh, uh, Conservation 110 in freshman year in school, <laughs> so that's always been a part of our life as well. So- you can understand Yes, me. I can. Okay, so let's jump right to FederDoc. What is it? What are its roles? What are its initiatives? And uh, what's happened 
recently? FederDoc is the National Confederation of Voluntary Consortia for the Protection of the Denomination of Origin. The denomination of origin in Italy are protected by a consortia that is voluntary, it's not compulsory. And the federation is uh, uh, working for all these uh, different consortia. It was established in 1979 and uh, uh, practically, actually, it's uh, a body that uh, brings together almost the entire universe of the Italian designation of origin wines. And FederDoc represents uh, the consortia uh, every day and support them on uh, institutional, legal and legislative levels. FederDoc and the consortia were 20 years ago the creators, for example, of the current control uh, system of the Italian wines with the appellation uh, is a control that is held in uh, in the vineyard, in the cellar, and, and on the bottle. And uh, it allows, at the end of all the process, a complete traceability from the single bottle back to the cellar and vineyard. This is a system that is really unique worldwide and was, as I said, uh, created by Federadoc and the consortium. Through the years, uh, Federadoc has always uh, also promoting the designation of origin with information, promotional campaigns in Europe and around the world. So we have also an international activity that is uh, related with the image and the knowledge of the Italian wines with an appellation. So this is voluntary participation by the growers or producers. What authority does the entity have? Is it a formal regulatory thing? Is this just a How's the structure? Well, an appellation, uh, uh, it's uh, something that it's uh, very democratic on one side, but all the uh, representatives of the interest of the vineyards, of the wine producers, the grape and the wine producers, is done with no delegation. So uh, when I try to explain how an appellation works, I always say that we have the opportunity of writing our own rules, but we do that directly. We don't have to elect a parliament that is then making the law. We write our own law. Then, of course, the uh, national and the European authorities are recognizing our work. So there is an official recognition on the, on the, on the frame that we write about each appellation. But this is interesting because we have to do that. It's our duty. And we have uh, we are in charge of protecting something that is uh, a public patrimony. An appellation is not just belonging to me as a producer and to my colleagues as producers, but it belongs also to the community. So it's a part of the public patrimony, as well as, for example, Il Colosseo or Uffizi Museum in in Florence are our public patrimony. Those, the Colosseo or the Uffizi are protected by the state. The appellations are first protected by the producers through their consorts, and then, of course, the state. Okay. So there's also a a parallel thing going on here, origin wines. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. The concept of uh, origin is uh, very, very old. We have to go back to the uh, Roman Empire. The designation of origin is meant to be the name of a region, of a certain place, that can be a huge region or a small one. Franciacorta, for example, where I produce, is uh, a small area, just 18 villages. 
Brunello di Montalcino is Montalcino is just one village and then you might have Chianti or Chianti Classico that are much more bigger areas and this specific place uh, it's indicating a specific product with some characters that are unique for the region due to the region so these uh, characters are given essentially by the local geographical environment but also by the human factors so the human activity that's very clear when we talk about wine there is a transformation of the grapes that is made in a cellar with some human factors that are affecting the final taste the interesting thing about the geographical indications of designation of origin is that the romans discovered that the market so the people the consumers we say today were ready to pay higher price for products coming from a certain designated place, the designation of origin, instead of a generic wine. Like Falernian wine was written about by Pliny and people like that as being better wines. Of course, and they were paying more. So at that moment, the Roman Empire had also an, a new problem. How can I protect the consumers, uh, the people buying from those that are frauding and that are counterfeiting the origin. From that moment on, we created a legislation of, uh, of the appellation of origin that is really typical of the Mediterranean area. So you will find the concept of the origin and the appellation or the designation of origin in all the uh, Latin legislations of so France, Spain, and so on. You won't find it, for example, in the Anglo-Saxon uh, tradition, uh, where uh, the concept of uh, appellation was introduced much more later when uh, Great Britain started entering in the uh, European market. And unfortunately, now with Brexit, we lost them. But yeah, that was the, the, the beginning. Uh, for example, just to let you understand what I'm saying, uh, New Zealand was selling Sauvignon Blanc coming from Marlborough. Or USA was were selling Cabernet Sauvignon coming from Napa. Actually, you see that Napa Valley is an AVA, so an American viticultural area. And if you want to write Napa on your label, that is generally speaking written bigger than Cabernet, uh, as well as Marlboro. Now it's written bigger than uh, than uh, uh, Sauvignon Blanc. You have to uh, follow some rules. For example, 100% of the grapes should came from Napa. So again, uh, this is the starting of an appellation and the concept of appellation. The grape is less important, is more important where it's coming from, what are the attitude, the human factors that are changing the characters of the wine I have in the glass. I visited Pompeii a few years ago and I was pleased and su surprised to see that uh, Mastro Berardino has a vineyard in Pompeii and are, I guess, making wines like they made during Roman times back 2,000 years ago. And I thought that was just really a cool manifestation of uh, kind of going back to where we all started. But now there's some complications. Um, and the complications uh, are all about the terms that we use and maybe different definitions in different languages and in different countries. I'll just use one sentence here from a, a report I, I got from Wine Intelligence. They have a thing called the Alternative Wine Opportunity Index, which is, as they stated, a compound measure of consumer engagement in wine. So it's data that you can track about consumer behavior. I get that. Okay. In wine categories, including sustainable, organic, natural, biodynamic, and fair trade. 
Now, we're not going to go into the definitions of each of those here. We don't have enough time. But I think it's interesting because they are used almost interchangeably by consumers in the United States, but are perceived differently. Can you comment on that? Uh, definitely I can, because uh, Federdoc uh, and now also uh, EFO, the European Federation of Origin Wines, have been working a lot on, uh, on this uh, matter. Uh, first of all, any name has a meaning for us. Any word in our vocabulary has a meaning. And the meaning is uh, the culture that is behind, that has been creating that, that word. So each term might, might have different uh, lectures for us. But I believe that among all the names you have been uh, reading right now, sustainability is the only one that is in some way including all the other ones. So where is sustainability coming from? The first time we had a definition of sustainability, it was in 1987, when the World Commission on Environment and Development uh, started a study on uh, a sustainable uh, development, economical development. And the final report named on the president of the WCID of the time, that was Harlem Brundtland, so the Brundtland report, was uh, saying... Sustainable development is development that satisfies the needs of the present without compromising the liability of future generations to meet their own. It looks like something written by Greta, if we want to <laughs> joke on this. But I mean, it's definitely correct. Uh, the, our sons have the same rights we have, and they should have a life good as ours or even better than, than ours. So we cannot destroy all their opportunities just because we want to live without thinking about tomorrow. And so all what is uh, inside this uh, short sentence, it's uh, what we can uh, talk, we can discuss about sustainability. So it's not just decarbonization. Is not just uh, climate changes. Is not just organic. Is not just biodynamic. It's it's many other things that are connected with what today we call the three pillars of sustainability. So the environmental pillar, the social, and the economical one. Today we see that a lot of countries are working on this direction of the sustainability. We can see that also the great uh, international investors are putting their money only in uh, their capitals, are getting into uh, activities that might not compromise the future of the generations that are coming after us. This is very important because it means that we are trying to save our world, our earth, and not just to live on it and without taking care. Of. So in 2015, FederDoc and the consortium started working on this matter along with other subjects. And uh, in, uh, in a few years, we have been creating an, uh, a standard that is called Equalitas, that it's trying to give a response uh, to all these matters, starting from the viticultural and wine production point of view. So it's an approach that it's uh, given to the single company, to the wine. The wine can be sustainable. The single seller can be sustainable. But of course, due to the fact that it was born in our Tolson approach, that it's related to single territories, the single uh, wine appellations. It's an approach that it's uh, giving some 
indicators that can be measured. It's not just a matter to say I'm doing something, but it's also a matter of measuring my activities and try to improve them year by year. And it's an approach that it's uh, uh, with uh, a gradual access. Uh, We cannot do everything in just uh, one moment. We have to create a plan and work on it. Uh, so uh, on this uh, graduate we've been uh, creating many different things that you can discuss. The interesting thing about uh, sustainability is that you can find a lot of different arguments that can be of uh, interest of the single consumer. I'm more concerned about uh, soil or I'm more concerned about the biodiversity handling or I'm more concerned about different matters. So, for example, in uh, in uh, agricultural practices, uh, the standard is talking about soil handling, fertility handling, irrigation, plant handling, defense, harvest, biodiversity, dangerous agrochemicals, gathering, vinification, and uh, detection and sanitation of uh, in the cellar. Again, uh, on the economic practices. Uh, or better, let's talk about the social practices because this is very important, especially in North Europe, actually, and even in Canada. We notice a lot of interest on this uh, point. The workers' rights, qualification current with the, the work that people is doing, promotion of equal opportunities and youth work, no discrimination, welfare, monitoring the satisfaction of the employers with uh, questionnaires, uh, plans for personal training, sharing information inside the company and uh, recording them, training the contractors. In many works in the in the vineyards and in the cellar, we may have contractors. To them, we might apply the same rules that we have for our employers. There is uh, also questionnaire that is compulsory for the neighbors in order to explain to the neighbors, to those that live around the vineyards, what you are doing and at the same time, what they expect from you in order to have uh, an exchange of information. Again, culture of what is behind sustainability. Then, of course, uh, on the economical practices, you have handling control, the economical investments, demonstration for the sustainability, growing plans for workers, turnover, economical incentives for achieving objectives of of goals for, for for the sustainability as well, meeting with the ownership. I did it uh, last week with all my employers because we just certified the year 2021 and so we had to do the annual meeting for discussing all these matters. Again, it's a place where they know they can be part of the adventure, part of the, of the story of the company that is not just working for the company, it's being part of it. Are you enjoying this podcast? There is so much more high-quality wine content available from Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check out our new wine study maps, our books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged, The Jumbo Shrimp Guide to Italian Wine, Sangiovese Lambrusco and other stories, and much, much more on our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. Now back to the show. Okay, so let me, I'm I'm going to... um... Kind of make a statement here, a challenge, if you will. 
We've talked to a number of words there, sustainable, organic, organic grapes, organically grown grapes, all that kind of stuff have different meanings and certainly uh, regulatory meanings in the United States for sure. But then there's this category of whether you want to call it natural wine or low intervention or no intervention. And I was talking with uh, Madalena Pasqua de Bichelia, who was a wine that I imported at one time, and she made the point that there really is no such thing as natural wine. If we grow vines in a vineyard, it's a monoculture. It's not a natural environment for the, if you want to boil it down to its very basic premises. And so low or no intervention wine is kind of a point there. And it's a growing thing. People are very interested in, in uh, natural wine. One of the things that happened in the US just in the last couple of weeks is a challenge to the use of the word clean. There was a Hollywood celebrity, Cameron Diaz, who came out with a wine and she called it clean wine. And there was a, a bit of a feedback, if you will, from the trade saying that's uh, pushing back on the TTB. And the TTB issued a warning saying, basically, you can't use clean wine because it doesn't mean anything. And it gives the, by definition, if you say, I make clean wine, yours isn't. <laughs> as well as natural. That doesn't really mean nothing. I mean, each wine is natural. It's a natural fermentation of uh, of grapes. So, Unfortunately, in our uh, in our society, in our in these times, we try to simplify a lot things that are quite complex. Uh, what it means, we try to find a word or just some keywords that should explain all what we want to say. Is the Twitter system? But uh, life is a little bit more complex than just a tweet. And uh, of course, here we are talking about science behind all this. Uh, indicators, soil, biodiversity that you have to certify, carbon footprint that you have to calculate, water footprint that you have to calculate. These are all scientific matters and need more than one word to be described. That's why I was saying probably sustainability, once we will be ready to understand all the meanings of this word, will be more interesting for the consumers than just natural that it's not an easy definition because no one can tell what is natural. I mean, there is not one definition. Of well, ultimately, vinegar is what natural. I mean, that's yes, what wine's going to be. We're just kind of like in the middle here trying to extend the amount of time it's in this particular form. Uh, at, when I was at university uh, studying uh, enology, uh, my, uh, my teacher uh, was starting each lesson every morning saying, well, we are ready here to talk about winemaking. Remember that in nature, with grapes, you make vinegar. But now we will talk about wine, that it's something that it's in the middle between grape and vinegar. So this was a great lesson. And I think it's exactly what we need to understand. I mean, if we want to drink a wine that has certain character, we have to apply uh, in the transformation, uh, some techniques that will keep the wine fruity and not having any notes of uh, of uh, vinegar, or that the proper color and not just an orange color that is the natural color of the oxidation, and so on. So uh, definitely, we need to get a little bit more deeper into uh, the question. For example, uh, a vineyard can be a place of biodiversity, that was the question that you were asking to Mrs. Pasqua. I believe so. I'm actually measuring the biodiversity of my vineyard and what's around my vineyards 
the interesting thing is that we are doing that with drones and we are calculating how many different kinds of grasses are there. And once we know which kind of grass is growing in the vineyards, we just because we don't spray any herbicide, of course, but we can then see if uh, some of them can give better characters to the to the, the vines and the grapes. So we have a great world to discover, but it's a complex world. When we talk about nature, we are talking about the entire earth and probably the entire universe. So we have to be sure that we are ready to learn every day and to achieve different informations from different kind of science that is not just the economic science or just genealogical science. So you guys are doing some heavy-duty research, or practical research, I guess I, I would call it. But how do you how, how are you communicating that to the consumers? And I would start with Italy, but I'm obviously also interested in the United States because there's a lot of, um, not confusion, misinterpretation of, of all these uh, definitions. That's the, the main goal. Of course, we've been working on two different ways. The first one was talking to the great players of the market. Uh, so those that are buying wine in some way. So I'm talking about the monopolies of uh, Canada or North Europe or the great distribution chains, for example, Walmart uh, and so on. For example, Walmart, along with other other American companies, I, I would say Pepsi, Enkel, uh, Unilever, Campbell, uh, Amazon, they're all together into the, the association that is uh, TSC, Sustainability Consortium, uh, is the name of this association. And when we created our standard, we have been discussing with them about it. And we said, what do you think about our standard? Will it be a proper answer for the needs of the consumers? Because at the end, we, we have to start on the market from a certain point. And they gave us the, the opportunity of uh, saying, it was an approval claim, that the uh, TSC, so the Sustainability Consortium, agrees that the Qualitas Sustainable Wine Guidelines meet TSC and retailers' expectation in order to adopt an official sustainability code for their wine growers. So we did a work. And someone on the market has been recognizing it. We did that in many different ways, not only with them. I was talking about TSC because it's an American association, but we did that all over the world and we are still working on that direction. We have a huge problem that is actually, especially for your market, that USA doesn't sit on the OEV in, uh, in France. So the organization that it's... Uh, creating the rules for the wine world. And the absence of the Americans is uh, of all evidence because when we discuss these matters that are worldwide matters, a huge part of the world of production is there. Italy, France, Germany, and all the other big producers, but unfortunately not the States. And the States are important both on the side of the production, but also as a huge market. So in the future, we expect to see more and more discussion on these matters. I must say that our contacts with the, the Wine Institute and the Sustainable Wine Growing Alley and so on were not so... The, the response was not that open, I must say. Wow, but, I'm uh, surprised, but okay. I'm still trying and yeah. I believe that we will be able to uh, make all the efforts to harmonize the different uh, 
standards, the different approach to the problem of sustainability, again, a cultural matter, uh, in order to arrive uh, to a response that the same response uh, worldwide. I must say that, for example, the American producers, the Californian producers were talking about sustainability well before any other one in the world. But unfortunately, we are not yet able to have an open discussion with them. But I'm confident we will be able to do that in the next future. I'm definitely confident. I've seen in some of the trade literature that I read, there's a lot, a number of different organizations addressing that. Some located in Nampa, some in you know Northern California, some include Oregon, some don't. Then there's you know Dave, University of California Davis is doing some stuff. Uh, the Wine Institute. There are many many people kind of working on the same thing. That's kind of true in Italy too. You have this organization called Slow Wine. Can you address that? Mm, well, Slow Wine has been working on different matters. Of course, it's talking about the nature and uh, on, on on many different ways, but it's more a focus on the small producers, the, the producers that don't have a market and the opportunity of uh, saving these local uh, traditions and so on. So, of course, we are on completely agreeing on their teams, on their ideas, but at the same time, the discussion actually is more on the level of let's do that on all the world of wine and not just on the small ones, not just on those living in areas that are out of the huge development. Just for give you an idea, for example, in Italy, there are some huge appellations, but at the same time, small ones that are working on the uh, way for being certified as sustainable for the entire territory. And this is quite interesting because probably the first two appellations that will achieve this result will be one, a huge one, Prosecco DOC, and the other one, a small one, Nobile di Montepulciano in Tuscany. So one is uh, uh, on two regions, Prosecco is produced in Veneto and Friuli. The other one, Montepul- uh, Nobile di Montepulciano, is uh, practically uh, a village in, uh, in, the, in the south of the province of Siena in Tuscany. This is amazing because we are talking about great quantities of wine, great names, and you see that even a small area Nobile di Montepulciano, or a huge one, work on that. When I say huge numbers, uh, if the two appellations will achieve the certification before the end of this year, we will have 60 million bottles certified. That's to say 50 million cases that will be certified as sustainable. It's a great effort because we're talking about 1,000 producers, 100 sellers. But how is that communicated to the consumers? There's going to be like uh, DOC things on the label? Actually, it's not yet communicated. We did, we did some, some communication during Vinitaly to say we are working on, but of course we are waiting for the final certification. So we will start communicating. They're working since two years on these matters. They're not the only one. Montalcino is doing the same. Scansano, again in Tuscany, is doing the same. Bulgari. Again, in Tuscany, Castel del Monte in Puglia is doing the same efforts and same work. French Corte is uh, on the way. So there will be a huge number of appellations in the next future that will be certified as sustainable appellations with equalities. And I believe that this is a, a great result. I mean, the world of wine is definitely moving in the proper direction. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would add that I think it also represents a way for the small producers to compete on a more even playing field with the big ones 
because the definitions, terminology, and authorizations or regulations in, in the U.S. would be um, saying this this wine is produced in, with with these theories or processes, and it's worth more. That consumers are looking for sustainable wines. That article that I introduced the conversation with. Wine Intelligence did a study, and uh, American consumers are willing to pay more for sustainable wines, even though they don't understand what sustainable means. Or it's the philosophy more than the specific reality. I think. Uh, Yes, it is the philosophy, and it is also the the understanding that we all have that we have to do something for all the problems we already mentioned. Uh, I mean, I cannot stay at home and complain about the global warming. I cannot stay at home and complain about uh, too much plastic in the oceans and so on. If I don't do my little for changing these, uh, these kind of events, no one of us will change the world. But all together, we can do a lot. And this is the meaning, working together. Again, it's something that it's in the consortium, in the aim of the consortium, in the DNA of our being producers that join all together in the consortium to write their own future, their own rules, and the opportunities on the market of the, of the next future. This is exactly what sustainability is showing us. People can do their little while changing the car, I might be able to buy an electric one instead of uh, a huge diesel engine. I mean, it's uh, it's a matter of uh, taking decisions. Uh, I can use a a bag for for going and buying my food that it's in cotton, and it's uh, <laughs> I can use it for months instead of a plastic bag that then is lost in the in the in the oceans. Okay, so let's uh, bring this to a close. One of the uh, things I like to do in these interviews is to ask my guests, uh, we talked a lot about a lot of things, what's the big takeaway? And and recognize that um, the majority of the listeners to this podcast are in the United States. So of all the things that we discussed, is there anything specifically practical that, and so this would be distributors, importers, salespeople, you know, people in trade in the United States can take away from this or or, uh, think about or know about? Well, first of all, the good news, in my opinion, is that uh, in Italy, but there are other ones in the world, there are some sustainable standards that can be certified. And when we talk about certification, we talk about a third body that is saying that my story is true. And if my story is true, it's better than just being a story or a legend that sometimes is not historical. And this is the first information. So you can look on the label on the ball for the sign the the stample or or the 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 certification and this is the first means we are working on the work are in progress it's not just and accomplishing things as well as heading in the right direction i look at just the change in attitude that everybody has just before covid to now now this stuff is it was of interest now it's really important and that's been the evolution. Yeah, well, it is because we realize that we are not the, the those ruling on the world. A little uh, micro. It's a. It's something. It's something that we don't even see has been stopping us for two years. And let's hope it, we are at the end. But probably we are not yet at the end. So this is has been bringing us to the reality. We are part of a huge system, the natural again and the, and the universe that. We don't control at all. 
uh, there is something that is stronger than us, that is not just a tornado or a hurricane, but can be also a small COVID that you only see uh, at your micro. And um, it's interesting, in my opinion, because we had time to think about different models of uh, uh, living on this earth. And this is the first good news. The second one, in my opinion, is that this attention to the sustainability, it's uh, getting into the direction of giving us the opportunity of being curious. It's not true that curiosity is killing the cat. I believe that if we are curious, we can improve ourselves. We can learn something every day. I always try to say, be curious, because uh, if you're curious, you will improve yourself. And if you are curious about sustainability, just open the report of one company that is uh, certified uh, sustainable, and you will discover that if it's not at page one, it will be at page 10 or a page 100, but you will find something that is in your aims, what you're looking for. Because it's really something that goes 360 degrees. Okay, great. I want to uh, thank Ricardo Ricci Curbastro with today. He's talking on behalf of uh, FederDoc uh, for being my guest this week. Thank you for sharing your time and your insights. Um, you're doing a lot of really good stuff. I don't know how you get it all done and still make wine at the same time. Well, the day is long, 24 hours, you know. You don't sleep too much. <laughs> I remember someone saying that people that have different interests always find the time for them. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really passionate about my work as a farmer, a grape producer and wine producer. But at the same time, I think that if you want, you can find time also for many other interests in your life. I think that may be the most important thing that we talked about today because it's all heading in the, in the same direction, but you have to take action to make it happen. So thank you again for being a guest and uh, for my listeners. Thank you for listening. Thanks for, for inviting me. Uh, and uh, join us again next week where we'll have another uh, edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian wine people on the Italian Wine Podcast. This is Steve Ray. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitali Academy, home of the gold standard of Italian wine education. Do you want to be the next ambassador? Apply online at vinitaliinternational.com for courses in London, Austria, and Hong Kong, the 27th to the 29th of July. Remember to subscribe and like Italian Wine Podcast, and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find our entire back catalog of episodes at italianwinepodcast.com. Hi, guys. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.